three, two, one. From down in the dirty bird. Oh my goodness gracious. The only mustard buzzard podcast on the planet. This is Buzzardry. Here are your hosts, Ben Milam and Patrick McGee. And we are back with another episode of Buzzardry. It is very good to be with you, very good to have you with us. And uh, Pat, we got a lot to talk about. I, I guess I got to say the same thing like I say every single time. I've, I've had somebody uh, tell me that they, uh, they've they gotten used to the intro. So my name is Ben Milam. I'm here with my partner, Patrick McGee. Pat, how you doing? Doing good. Glad to be on. Like I said, we have plenty to talk about tonight. We are going to run through the North Texas game, talk about UTSA, and we will get into a little round ball, and we will touch on some realignment stuff. And then we have got a new segment that uh, we're excited about, going to go through our Sun Belt future conference mates one by one and um, hold your hand as, as we walk through and get to know our future conference mates, plenty to know, and got a good one to start it off tonight. So, it is Wednesday, November 10th. At the time of this recording, we'll have this out later tonight. Uh, let's let's first go back to this North Texas game because we did not go live after that one. From what we talked about and kind of our keys to the game, what we needed to avoid, uh, pretty much all of that stuff happened, what we actually needed to avoid. The game-breaking plays, and uh, you know, he jumped out to 14 nothing lead, but it was all downhill from there. Yeah, it was, and you really saw that first drive where you, you kind of had that first 15 script where you yep. did well offensively, and then the next drive you get the uh, the pick six, and you're thinking, well, this is going to be kind of the magical day. You, you score the defensive touchdown mm-hmm. on 2011 days. You know, as most people know, 2011, they set the record. I, I don't – I think Bama, they might have t- – they may have tied it or broken it, but at the time they had uh, set the record for most uh, defensive touchdowns mm-hmm. of the year, but – um, yeah, and then after that, it was just you couldn't do anything offensively. Uh, North Texas eventually just kind of wear you down there uh, in the second half. But, yeah, you did have the two uh, game-breaking plays. You had the uh, scoop and score, and then you had another uh, – what was it? It wasn't a – was it a pick – was it another fumble recover or was it an interception? Uh, I think it was a fumble. I'm pretty sure it was another fumble recovery. Yeah. Take yeah. it back for six, yeah. Uh, I mean, that was late in the game. Both uh, strip sacks. I guess where the second one wasn't was more of a fumbled snap. Right, right, yeah, yeah. but um, same result both ways. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was certainly another tough uh, game where you, you know you're really starting to see those 2013. We were debating earlier in the year was it 2014 or 2013. Well, it's definitely looking like 2013 uh, yep. past couple of weeks. So uh, yeah, uh, tough season continues. So yeah, and to me, and that's that's one that's been one of the big talking points this week is the fact that we you know you do go out there and look. Pretty good, um, you know. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't say pretty good, but you look decent on offense on first couple of drives. Like you said, that's that's the fifteen or twenty scripted plays you have that you're running all week, and you know you're going to go with. Um, and, and I think you know people have questioned, you know, how big of a negative is that uh, that we've we've you know you've opened on the first or, or second drive of these games that have you know ended in similar results where you you pretty much get blown out and you're not really in it at the end at least in this last month um you look at an offense in the beginning but then it just it just totally falls off and you're not able to get any sort of production um, in any part of your offense and you know that the a lot of people are saying you know is that coaching at some point yes I would say that is coaching but I, I I would not I would not go to that quite yet because I think you are you have those 15 or 20 plays that you know you're going to hit on and a defense is is going to adjust to that right um, you know even in the first half and especially in the second half and we, we've seen a bad start in the second half um, really bad start in the second half these last three games and I, I think that points more towards how how intensely limited you are as far as how you can adjust to a defense with what you have personnel wise you know having played seven quarterbacks and we you know might see a few more different ones play this weekend yeah. right? we don't know um but 
Yeah, you. there's just not a lot you can do on the fly with the personnel that you have. Especially, you know, North Texas is not, that is not a great defense by any means. But they've got some good athletes, um, particularly at linebacker and in the secondary. And so you, you really, um, uh, you know, you saw more success on the ground with Frank, Frank Gore in the first quarter. Um, but when they made those adjustments, it just... With what you have on the offensive line, there's just not much you can do after the scripted plays. And so, yeah, to me, that that's not as much coaching. That more points to how limited you are in the offensive game plan. You're pretty much stuck to what you have uh, structured in in those, those scripted plays of this is what we know is going to work and we are going to stick with it regardless of adjustments because we can't really make those adjustments based on the personnel that we have. Yeah, and what Hall said in the post game, he said something like, "We, can, I mean, we have trouble completing a pass right now." Mm-hmm. Is something he said, and you know, once yeah, you lots per- of dropped passes. I haven't seen the statistic on that, but it seems like when you do have a guy open and you do hit the right. play, he drops a pass. Well, that's the thing; it's not even drops, but just getting the guys in position to even make a play. Yes, yes. Um, just based on the O line, and then you know, you got to pass the ball to where the guy can catch it. So mm-hmm. I mean, just those two things. Uh, you know, feels simple, but, you know, like Hall's saying, it's really hard for us to do right now. So I think when, when you prove that you don't really have much of a passing game, then teams can key in on the run, and then you can't run the ball. So it, it just becomes kind of a uh, an avalanche in terms of offense where you really can't get anything done. And, uh, you know, that's kind of why, um, you know, football's kind of become more of a passing game, right. whereas you can easily, if you can't pass, and it's pretty easy to stop the run. You just put more guys in the uh, in the box. So you really have to have at least a baseline level of competence in terms of the passing game to have a, a successful offense. And uh, you know you got to have a successful offense to be a good team, mm-hmm. or at least uh, a decent offense. Um, and uh, you know that's not the case. Obviously, you know the offense has really really struggled uh, in twenty twenty one. So um, yeah, it's it's the it's the rebuild and. Um, do we want to get into the rebuild discussion? Yeah, or? let's roll right into it. We've, we've hit on it pretty constantly, but I feel like a new angle of this comes up every week. Yeah, so or, um, yeah, so Hall, I was, I was listening to the hotline last week, and I caught uh, Hall saying something. He wanted to have a team in the spring that would beat this team by 35. So I think that, uh, I think that really says that he's going to hit the portal hard. He's going to hit the JUCOs hard. Um, and really get a roster that is considerably better, at least at the top of the roster. Who knows how much depth he can build in just one offseason, but I think he's really going to try to hit those JUCOs, that transfer portal, uh, really hard to upgrade the talent on this team and get it to where, you know, they're a lot better than, uh, you know, this team is. So Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and you know, something that's, that's, I think, often lost in a season like this is I just think about these seniors, you know, the, the guys that are graduating on this team that, and – Playing their last year of college ball, you know, you had a, you had a couple of guys come back, and um, you know, probably more uh, guys that maybe would come back next year that that might hang it up just due to the results this year. Um, but man, you gotta hate it for those. Guys. I mean, how you know, been through four head coaches at least, um, you know, a thousand offensive coordinators for the guys on offense and. Uh, man, yeah, you really hate it uh, for those guys. Um, but it, I think it's unavoidable for Coach Hall to, to not look forward and and keep hammering on that, you know, in his post games, you know, post practice, whatever, of now the challenge is to recruit. You've got to build it toward next year because, um, you know, everybody knows it. You don't have to be an expert um, or any kind of analyst to see that the personnel is just not there, um, you know. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't make it any tougher for these seniors. They have put so much into this program, so uh, really hate it for those guys. And you know the ones that have stuck it through a, a really tough four years. Um, you know, you know, there's some speculation on what transfers you go and get. Some of these more high profile guys. One name that came up last week that we got to talk about. <laughs> Miles Brennan puts his name into the transfer portal out of LSU. Uh, his time is done there, and immediately eagle post is on it as always um tagging him on facebook i saw a couple people and uh, and some people on twitter too tagging tagging miles brennan and um you know throwing the smttt hashtag in there and um, so i'm sure he knows you know he's he's a he's a gulf coast guy and um i don't know is there is there anything to that to you 
Uh, I I don't know. I was looking at his uh, Twitter and just seeing who I had common followers with or who that I follow also follow him. And uh, mm-hmm. several staff members, including Hall, follow him oh, on Twitter. So, I mean, who knows what that means. And they they look like they're pretty recent follows, too. Kind of that, uh, yeah, just doing that uh, that Twitter investigating. Yeah, the sleuth. Yeah. Um, so, it looks like, you know, just based on that, they're probably trying at least um, – to get him into uh, into the program, now will they uh, be able to do that? Who knows? I mean, he's a guy who was a, a blue chip out of Saint Stanislaus mm-hmm. uh, in high school. He uh, put up pretty good numbers last year uh, before he, or I guess he got hurt before this year, and then he started yeah. um, several games last year. Put up pretty good numbers. Um, you know, he'd be a sixth year guy. Um, a grad transfer, I think he would. I guess we'd only have one year left. Yep. Um. So, but he's the kind of guy you, if you can somehow get him, that would obviously be huge because he, he's a bridge quarterback, but he can produce. You would think at a very high level. Um. And then you know you hand it off to Keys or whoever in twenty twenty three. So um yeah that would be a huge huge get, uh for the program that you know you would think that would answer your quarterback problem, uh just based on his pedigree um. Yeah, you know, like we were saying, he's a blue chip out of high school, but he also did produce um, at LSU, you know, against really good competition yeah. um, last year. So Yeah, and these last, these last two years, one of, I mean, kind of the other side of this, uh, I guess to sort of play devil's advocate, is he has dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, he has not been healthy consistently, um, you know, for um, – I'll have to go back and look at it, but it, it doesn't feel like he, he has played – a full season at LSU and been completely healthy. No. Um, and so, yeah, no, with one year left and with all of the quarterback injuries that you've dealt with, do you, and I'm with you, I agree that, that you know, if you can't get a guy like that, I don't think you would turn that down because he would make an immediate impact and you could use that to sort of bridge, um, you know, between next year and your, your more inexperienced guys. A set under guy like that, I think that would, I think that would be a positive, but it's also... Um, you know, the other way of looking at it is do we want to just go ahead and get our quarterback of the future in there and, uh, you know, kind of iron him out in game action instead of just, you know, throwing a one-year guy out there and now you start over at quarterback in 2023. Um, but I, I think, I think, I guess to answer my own speculation, um, Miles Brennan is a, is a talented enough guy to where he would he would he would give you enough of a boost to where you would you would take that risk to not throw you know whoever is going to be the quarterback in twenty twenty three in there next season. Right, and I guess it depends on how Hall views the rebuild. You know, does he right, want to try right. to you know really go for it next year, mm-hmm. or does he just kind of want to kind of slowly <laughs> progress and like all right, let's try for you know six wins or something like yeah. let's throw keys in there. And or you know bring low back and let's get to you six wins or so instead of going for Brennan, which is I guess a high risk, high reward. Uh, I mean, just based on like you're saying the injury history and the fact that we don't he would only have uh, one year, so that's a year less of uh, playing experience uh, for a guy like Keys or Low. But um, yeah, and, and just I mean nothing to do with like wins or losses, but he would bring a jolt of excitement to the program. That's just, true because you know he is a name. You know, just based on his, uh, like we were saying, big name out of high yeah. school, played at LSU. So people do know who he is. And that would, you know, that would get the blue checks on Twitter uh, talking about sure. it for at least a couple hours. So Yeah, that, that, and that, uh, that, I mean, that matters with recruiting. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that, that's, a, you know, that's a bump to your perception. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. And, I, and I, I'm with you. I think, I think you take a guy like that if you can get him. He, he will have options. He is a talented enough guy, and he's been productive enough at LSU to where he will have options. The other question I think you have to ask when talking about the quarterback position is the problem at quarterback. Uh, if you have, you know, hypothetically you have a healthy Trey Lowe, are we sitting at 1-8 and eight right now? I don't think so. Uh, I think the problem is offensive line. I think it's pretty cut and dry. I think that is your number one priority is, uh, you know, we've talked about the wholesale personnel change is to have a legitimately competitive. It's not going to be good next year because you can't turn around a line that quickly. Typically, you know, maybe it'll happen. I don't know. But uh, I, I think your number one priority is the offensive line. And if you can have a somewhat 
competitive offensive line. I think you have enough quarterback in the uh, talent in the quarterback room to be competitive and, and you know be a bowl team next year. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you you know if it uh, if Miles Brennan is showing legitimate interest and there's a high profile offensive line, uh, you know, get a right tackle that um, you know is out of a power five program or whatever. You feel like he he's going to be a big boost on the line. It just again, like you said, point uh, depends on how Coach Hall is is going to view the rebuild. Do you does he feel good enough a quarterback um, to where he would rather have an offensive uh, lineman instead of a guy like Miles Brennan who's just going to give you a year? Um, a lot of different ways that shake, that could shake out. I don't know, but that was really interesting to see his name come up, and it's just sort of a, a natural um, thing to to send Southern Miss fans into a frenzy. And, <laughs> um, we will. Certainly keep an eye on that. Um, let's talk about this weekend. Um, it is, you know, I think people look at that and it's, there's maybe not a ton of analysis to go into it uh, because <laughs> no. you're, you're pretty steep underdogs. Uh, 33 is the latest we have. Is that, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, that, that's what it was uh, this morning, which is the largest underdog or the largest uh Margin you or underdog margin, whatever the word is, uh, or phrase I'm trying to come up with here that USM has ever been in a conference USA game yeah, ever. The pre- wow. Yes, yeah. the previous was uh, Marshall in 2013. We were 31 point dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean it. Uh, it checks out. UTSA obviously having a great year. They're nine and zero, five and zero in the league. They're 15 in the AP poll, 16 in the coaches poll, and they just uh, got in the college football playoff poll release last night. They are at 23 there. Yeah. Um. You know, all the computers have them over 90 percent chance to win. There's one computer that had it a 99.9 percent chance. I don't know if mm-hmm. I would go that high, but uh, <laughs> they are heavy favorites uh, for sure. Yeah. And uh, you know, the program that has a lot of momentum. They have a great coach in there. This really turned them around, and mm-hmm. he really didn't. He mo- didn't have a you know, most of his players aren't even in the um, – I mean, most of the players are from the previous staff. Yeah. And his big thing was the Texas recruiting tie. So once, you know, you get some of those guys in, you know, they could, you know, keep this up and really become a, a top program uh, in the group of five. But, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a tough game on uh, Saturday. So it's just kind of uh, – you got nothing to lose and uh, just no risk it, no biscuit or whatever. Uh, was it Bruce Arian says, for, uh, coach for the Bucks. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's it. It seems like one of those games where you kind of just throw it into the wind, and you run a bunch of trick plays, and people have been asking for that, you know, since we, you know, you you uh, started one and four, one and five, and uh, just because you, at that point, you know, halfway through the year, it was pretty clear we were not going to be a bowl team or competitive in conference. Um, but I, I mean, if there's a week that you see stuff like that, it's going to be this week. Where you might see a bunch of wildcat formations, and you just you send everybody after the quarterback and stack the box, and you know run up a, a bunch of fancy stuff on defense as well, and you try to create turnovers because you're going to have to win the turnover margin, I think by three or four to win this game. Uh, UTSA did not turn it over once against UTEP in a you know pretty pretty dominant win against uh, what you know we've talked about a a really good relative to how uh, UTEP usually is really good UTEP team. Uh, and yeah, I mean, just a good team period and blew them out. Wasn't close in El Paso and did it. I mean, on both sides of the ball, that's part of what makes UTSA so good. Uh, Frank Harris at quarterback, 20 touchdowns, three interceptions, top 25 in the country in, in efficiency. And also had 76 yards on the ground and nine attempts. I thought that was one of the more impressive things I looked at when I was looking at that box score, um, when he needs to do it um, with his legs, he can. That gives a, a very, very different element. Makes it a lot harder to defend that offense because you've got such a great running back in Sincere McCormick, and that's also that that's probably the best offensive line um, in Conference USA. Uh, great, great on the defensive line as well. It's they've created pressure all season long. Um, but yeah, to, to have a quarterback who can throw it that efficiently uh, and also beat you with his legs, he's got real speed. Um, not a not a very shifty guy, but uh, but he can he can hurt you a lot of different ways. And then they you know over 250 yards on the ground, 
um, with those 79, 79 yards from Harris. Plus, since McCormick had another big day, uh, which you know they are they are going to look to pound it. Um, I, I think on us um, and improve um, that we that we uh, you know uh, can't stop the run, and then that will open up the pass, and and then it's all downhill hill from there. I'm sure that'll be some semblance of um, uh, the game plan for them. And uh, yeah, you just, I, I don't, you know, I, I would love to see, sit in on those coaches meetings and see what the game plan is, because this is uh, a matchup where you, you, you don't really have an advantage in, in any form or fashion. Yeah. I, I kind of go back to that 2014 game against Marshall where we got up 14 to nothing. And after we went up seven to nothing, we did an onside kick. Mm-hmm. And then we got that, and then we went up fourteen to nothing. And then we did an onside kick, and then uh, our then the thing we might have tried another onside kick later in the game. So there's like two or three onside kicks for you know we're really out man, but we're just going for it. And yeah, we ended up losing that game like sixty six to twenty one or or something like that. It was it was yeah. not uh, pretty, but um, yeah, it's 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 a tough game. UTSA, I mean, they're kind of where we want to be. Yes, you know, in terms of competing for conference championships making appearances in the polls, you know, beating Power 5 teams like they did at Illinois um, and really making a lot of noise uh, nationally. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, they're just further along as a program right now, kind of like what Hall was saying about UAB earlier in the year. That's where UTSA is as well. I mean, UTSA is probably farther along than UAB is, yeah. even if they haven't uh, won as many championships the past couple of years. They're farther along, this, you know, this year. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be a tough game, and it's um, – yeah, I mean, second best team you play, um, mm-hmm. you know, only behind Alabama. Um, so it's um, it's going to be an uphill battle on Saturday for sure. Yeah, and you mean you, you go back to, I mean, just a couple of years ago. I think, I think you look at UTSA and it shows you how quick a turnaround is possible. I mean, in um, well, I was I was trying to let me pull up the the season I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay. So in uh, in in nineteen, so two years ago, they go four and eight, uh, three and five in conference, and he, he um, trailer is like you said, you know, only in you know he's early in his in his um, early in that position, so he is winning with players from the previous coaching staff, but that roster was not not great two years ago, and you can argue that you know it was it was. Um, Frank Wilson, right? Yeah. Frank Wilson just, you know, not being a capable head coach and, you know, just a recruiter, which is, you know, a lot of people say that about him. But that – how quickly that roster turned around, uh, I think, shows you that it can be done. And obviously, you're, you know, two two very different programs in two very different places with different resources and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, this is uh, – UTSA shows you that it can be done quickly um, at this level – um, if you have the right guy at the head coach uh, spot, and um, yeah, I mean, just you get a few difference makers, and you start building momentum, and then you you have a year like this, and it just it's a snowball effect, and um, it's it's really really impressive what Jeff Jeff Trailer has done, really impressive uh, the contract that he signed, and uh, he appears to be locked up. I mean, you 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 know you can always get out of those things, but it appears he's not going anywhere at least after this year. Um, Tech, yeah, Texas Tech. Uh, they just hired a guy. They basically hired the <laughs> the non buyout version of Jeff Trailer. They mm-hmm. hired another mm-hmm. guy with deep Texas high school yes. uh, connections. Uh, Gally, what was his name? Uh, McGuire, uh, Joey yeah. Joey McGuire, yeah. I think was his name. And uh, he was uh, similar to Trailer in that he had had extensive uh, head coaching experience in Texas high school football. And um, so they basically got the uh, the dollar store Jeff Trailer Texas Te- Texas Tech did. Uh, I guess TCU could still make a run at him, but I, I don't think I really haven't seen yeah. his, I haven't seen his name thrown around at TCU as much uh, as he was at Texas Tech early on. So yeah, he's going to be there at least another year. So that's good news for them. Yeah, I heard somebody 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 made an interesting point. Um, would Jeff Trailer have have signed that contract had he known the TCU job was going to come open? That's um, that's interesting to think about because that's that is a a much much better job I would say. Um, but yeah, you go with the, the the Baylor associate head coach instead of the UTSA head coach, and um, just super impressive. I, I'm a big fan of Jeff Trailer. 
um, you know, I'm, I'm not mad about not having to play him in the future. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, if, if you had to, uh, predict a best, we'll go best case scenario for this weekend for Southern Miss. Uh, Real, realistic best case scenario. Uh, something where you like, <laughs> you run the clock down a bunch, you know, you kind of play as slow as possible and, uh, you know, you, you get into the fourth quarter and it's a one score game, and yeah. then anything can happen from that. Anything can happen. Yeah, anything so. at all. Yeah, you you put Frank Gore Jr. in the Wildcat and let him go to work with five minutes left in the fourth quarter. That that'd be fun. You know, it'd be fun to just be in the be in the game at the end. Oh uh, yeah, and you know, you get people on Twitter talking about like, oh, Southern Miss about to pull a top twenty five upset. You know, <laughs> they haven't had one of those, I guess, since the Houston game. So. You know, it's kind of would be kind of weird if uh, you know one of our one win uh, one win teams uh, went to UTSA and uh, ruined their best season. So yeah, I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah, would it be sweet? Nice little parting gift if we if we don't see UTSA next year. Um, all right, let's let's move right along into some basketball. Uh, were you there last night? Pat? I was not, uh, unfortunately, but I will be there on Friday. But I did not mm-hmm. make it last night. But I know you were there. You were th- right there, sitting right next to John Cox. I saw the picture. I was. I was. That was really cool to be able to call a game for John Cox. If you don't know, I'm I'm, I'm the broadcaster for William Carey, so I got to call that game, uh, sitting next to the voice. So I got an up close look. Uh, what it was a pretty fun game, um, and. Uh, Jay Landers group jumped out and I think it was I think it was twenty two to two yeah. with right at eleven minutes to play in the first half and just um man, we just ran them to death in those first ten minutes. And that is that is something that Coach Ladner has talked about, but you know, it was it was different just seeing it live. He wants to get out and run and uh, play in transition pretty constantly. Um, just to just to give you a, a, I guess a slight recap, if you are not aware, final score is eighty-one sixty-seven, and so you were up. You know, uh, twenty. It stayed right at twenty for most of the this, the first half, and then got it up to thirty. I think it was sixty-one thirty-one with about fifteen minutes to play, and uh, and then a fifteen-zero run by the Crusaders. And um, I I do want to just. Side note here, I mean, William Carey has got some players. They got some dudes who can ball and who could very, very easily be playing at the Division One level. A couple of guys who have played at the Division One level. Um, and even, I mean, just the guys that are Division One transfers didn't even have those, didn't even have that great of a night last night. And um, and so they, they, there's real talent on that roster. They got a couple guys missing, specifically size down low and, um, that that's a that's a great NIA program. That they will be um, they'll be top twenty five by the end of the year. I, I fully believe that. Um, Final four run in in the national tournament two years ago. Um, Coach Steve Knight, the legend, uh, does such a fantastic job there. So they that He's is a Hattiesburg institution. I would say he, that that is accurate. I would say that is accurate. Um, it, that is that is not a program just you know kind of. Brush off your shoulder. Not a typical NAI opponent, but you got another really good one in Loyola a little later this they, month. They beat uh, UNO in an exhibition. They I was, did. Uh, somebody on Twitter was uh, saying they might be the best uh, college basketball team in New Orleans. So yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I would would not be surprised. Xavier might have something to say about that. That's another NAI top twenty five team. But yeah, uh, Loyola might be the number one NAI team in the country by the time we play them. Um, so so yeah, it, uh, yeah, I I uh, I will get back to the the recap here but William Carey is a really really high level in a program um but yeah Tay Hardy great night had 30 and kind of took it over in the second half and and kept uh Southern Miss um holding that that double digit lead um when it, you know him and he and uh Zarkegius Martin the point guard for William Carey were kind of going back and forth out of we we really could not guard him um, they had uh Talking about the carry point guard yeah. had twenty eight, I think, right? He or had thirty. Thirty. Okay. He had yeah, yeah, he had thirty. So he matched Tay Hardy, uh, just a really, really tough guy to guard on the ball one on one. Had uh, I guess it was Mo Arnold on him for most of the second half, and um, that is a that's a tough assignment for anybody. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. First first impressions. I mean, I, I think you got to be encouraged with 
first and foremost, the offensive efficiency shot it a lot better than we did against Delta State. Yeah, what I'm interested by is, so uh, Napper went out with a toe injury, mm-hmm. and they brought in Bolton, who played well. I'm wondering if, I mean, he, you know, he's a true freshman playing 3A uh, high school basketball last year, but he looks like he might be a guy with more offensive upside. Yeah. Whereas the guy Napper, he may be more of a, I guess, a, a you know, what do they call it? A uh, game manager. Mm-hmm. I guess that's a football term, but, and to, or I, I guess, that, that's, yeah. Or more of a distributor than a scorer. Whereas somebody like Bolden, uh, he just based on, you know, one game, yeah. an exhibition game, uh, or, or, or the game against an NAIA team, but, um, where he played well offensively. So I'm wondering yeah. if, I mean, I don't know how much he put on his plate uh, this year, but, um, you know, he played well last night. And uh, he's a guy, it'll be interesting to see the dynamic, you know, how many minutes they go with him versus Napper. Uh, I guess it depends on how Napper comes back from his injury and yeah. how that develops. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously Napper, he's, you know, he played junior college basketball. Um, yeah, he Ju- was Juco All-American right. out of Dodge City, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's uh, kind of interesting to see how that is, where maybe if you need a scoring spark, you go to Bolden, and uh, yeah. but where Napper kind of eats up most of the minutes as a, uh, as a distributor, getting a lot of assists and that kind of thing, and being able to share the basketball. So Yeah, to me, the, the, the real difference in this team is the depth of talent. Um, you mentioned Bolden. You've got a guy you can send in, who the, in there who is, yes, he's a freshman, but highly capable. Uh, both as a true point guard and, and as a distributor, but, you know, a lot of times in – in college basketball, you know, that that is what your point guard does. And if you can get him to score a little bit, that's sort of just graving on on the top. But um yeah, to have a guy who can who can hurt you both ways, uh, you know, it looks like Bolden could be that guy and you know, he's he's still got a lot of growing up to do, but he's he's pretty he's pretty smooth offensively. Um I, I thought he um I thought he ran the offense well when he was at the point. Um, but yeah, to me, even if you don't have that score at point guard, so, you, you know, you, if, if Napper is your starting point guard for the large majority of the year, the whole year, whatever, depending on how quickly he comes back from injury, you feel like at those other four spots, you've got, got guys who can carry the offensive load. DeAndre Pinckney did not have a great night last night. Uh, I think only took maybe five or six shots, but he was a leading scorer against Delta State. He appears to have taken a jump. Um, and then you talk about Isaiah Moore and Tyler Stevenson. It, it's it's been um, it's been some time since Southern Miss has had two guys, uh, two big guys who are capable offensively and can really work off of each other. And then Tay Hardy and Jerome Pierre both had great nights. If they can shoot it like that, this this team has has got a great chance. Like like we've talked about to play into the top half, top four of Conference USA. Yeah, I mean that was kind of the concern coming in was. Mm-hmm. Um just the ability to score, the ability to shoot. And that was one of the things after that game against Delta State, a lot of people were saying, oh, we don't shoot well. And yeah. I kind of felt like, well, maybe that's you know what we're going to be, a low-scoring team. But team shot um, better last night. You had a guy like Bolden give you a spark. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a guy, Hardy, was scoring a bunch. So um, I think, you know, I guess kind of transitioning, or I guess we can talk about, um, Landner said about the pace. We were going to bring the yeah. pace up. So yeah. last year, our raw uh, – possession uh, average was 68 we averaged 68 offensive possessions we've had 70 plus uh, both of the uh, exhibition game and the game last night against Kerry, uh, which you know that's only a couple uh, difference or a couple more possessions but that is pretty significant mm-hmm. I mean I think you know once you get up in like the mid 70s that's the very top of uh, in terms of just tempo and how fast you're playing so uh, I think Landers saying you know with the personnel we have they're gonna be able to play quicker um, I guess a little more exciting brand of basketball uh, that the fans were uh, kind of wanting. So, um, but yeah, I guess uh, you know, I guess we kind of talk about the game Friday. That's going to be a big barometer game against. Uh, yeah, yeah, will be before we before we leave the William Carey game. But you know that that stretch where they um, they got it down to eleven, I think it was was the closest it was uh, with six or seven minutes left in the game, and a lot of people, you know. Um, I think rightfully so. We're maybe a little worried about that. Um, I think that was partially because William Carey uh, sort of found it offensively, particularly Martin um, was was feeling really good and again, he's so tough to guard. But you also just look at how how intense they played and how they played ninety four feet and you know got out and ran to just about every rebound. Uh, speaking about Southern Miss, 
Um, and that is that's hard to sustain uh, throughout forty minutes of basketball, and uh, and so I think I think that's you know that's part of why it's you know you play games like this early in the year to where you can start to um, you know find your pace and and find where you're most efficient and you, to where you can play fast the entire game, but not to the point where you just you know you completely zap yourself and and so you 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 know give up a 15-0 run halfway through the second half something like that. So um I I think that's that's certainly something to watch for. Do you do you go out and and run out and transition um every single defensive rebound which is just which is pretty much the case um for the first 10 minutes of the first half last night. Um I I think that'll that'll take a little bit of adjustment because again this is you really did not see this in the first two years of Jay Ladner, partially because of the personnel and um, just some adjustments he made in the off season. So um, that, that's something to look for. That's you know um, part of that maybe is is who you send in um, for replacements, and uh, I, I think it'd be a big deal to have Napper healthy and to have two point guards who can who can run the offense with that high pace. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on to this this Louisiana Lafayette game. I mean that's that is uh, like you. you that's an accurate description. Barometer game, you pretty much immediately see what you've got uh, against. Um, uh, I mean, a team that's picked to be the top of the Sun Belt this year. Yeah, you know they were preseason number two in the Sun Belt, the number three in Ken Palm and T rank. So this is, I mean, not only for this year, but just going forward, it kind of shows you where you stack up with the top yeah. programs in the Sun Belt. Yeah. So, but this is the team. They're basically, if you just look at like the preseason ratings based on returning production and that kind of thing, they're about equal. Uh, with us, so this is maybe a little higher, but um, you know, once you factor in the home court advantage, you know, it becomes pretty equal, mm-hmm. uh, even game. So I think this is going to be a really interesting game to see where the program is. Yeah. Or if you go out there and you win, you know, you're feeling pretty good. But if you go out there and you don't play well and you lose, uh, you know, you're kind of back to the uh, drawing board on the season. Even though it's, you know, it's only game two, but it, it is a little bit of a setback, um, just in terms of that. But um. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see um, how that game shakes out. Uh, I was listening to Ladner on Eagle Eye. He said uh, they have Lafayette. They get uh, they got a transfer from Arizona. He's like the sixth uh, Pac-12 sixth man of the year. So it's uh, it's going to be an interesting Friday night. I was uh, apparently some ULL fans, so they have a game at Troy on Saturday. So a lot of their fans are stopping in Hattiesburg. All right, Friday night they're going to be at the game on uh, be at the game and then go to Troy on Saturday. So a uh, little uh, that Sun Belt regional rivalry, uh, get a little taste of that on the uh, the hoops or on the on the hardwood. So yeah. it's uh, it's going to be interesting to watch for sure. Man, that's so nice to hear. I don't I don't think uh, a lot of these conference USA schools know that they're allowed to travel for basketball. So only uh, UAB, yeah. I think really. Yeah. Uh, speaking of UAB, they are they are going to be. Um, I think they're the favorite in conference yes. USA. They're they yes. are loaded. Um, a, a number of, of good transfers and they return a bunch off of last year and uh, I think scored 102 or something like yep. that last night. UNC and, Asheville. Yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyways, that was a side note, but um, man, go to that game Friday night if you can. Unfortunately, I'll be out of town, but I'll be keeping up with it. Um, that'll, that'll be a lot of fun and uh, should be a pretty good environment too. Let us, um, Let's move on to a little realignment, shall we? A couple interesting things happened this past week. Um, James Madison officially announces, finally, uh, the the smoke um, pointed to some fire. JMU game day nailed it. Uh, Finally, it's official. That that tweet was prophetic. And, um, yeah, uh, they also – I forget if it was the AD or the president. We may have talked about this last week, actually – pretty much said point blank that he would rather play in 2022 and, and, you know, be an immediate member of the Sun Belt. Uh, but there's, there's also that hang up of, of the conference not allowing them to play um, or what? It, yeah. Why don't you explain? That yeah. Up? So James Madison is in the colonial athletic conference, uh, the CAA as most people call it. And uh, anyways, they have a, uh, pretty much a standing rule where any team that leaves, once you announce you leave, you're not eligible for any conference <clears throat> championships as long as you're in the league. Right. Uh, an old Dominion uh, had that, and maybe a couple others. I'm guessing probably maybe VCU. VCU was in that conference. Uh, I don't know if they were hit by that, but um, which James Madison voted for that. Yeah. Well, that's that's <laughs> yeah. the thing that all these other schools, yeah. the remaining schools like William and Mary and Elon and whoever. 
So like, oh, you guys are hypocrites. So, but I mean, it's the big thing is you're really hurting the the student athletes. Yes, you're hurting the players. Yes, um, you know they weren't the people voting on this. You know, seven or eight years ago. So, um, yeah, it's just a huge bummer. I, I don't know why that rule is in place at all. Yeah, it's just, it's just I, it really seems that. like it's just kind of mean spirited. Even in uh, college athletics, which is kind of a lot of mean spirited. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough, but yeah, based on that, I mean, they're going to want to get out as soon as possible because yes. they don't want to have two years of not being eligible for conference championships. Mm-hmm. And so they said they want to start the transition um, in July of um, July first, twenty twenty-two. Yeah, um, that's the new athletic calendar. Or the start of a new athletic calendar. So that it, the situation, if JMU does do that, they will have to do the two-year transition, which means next year they would be an FCS independent. They they would schedule. I think somebody, either their AD or their president, said they'd schedule a mix of FCS games and FBS games. They would not be a member of the Sun Belt in football, but they would be a member of the Sun Belt and everything else. Basketball, right. baseball, yep. you know, soccer, whatever. So um, that would be a little bit weird where you have one season. If all the other, if the Conference USA schools move to the Sun Belt, I'll join you. We'd have a 13-team football conference. Yeah. Uh, and then a 14 teams uh, for, you know, basketball and, um, and baseball and that kind of thing. So, um it's uh yeah I mean just based on the comments from the James Madison people and then yeah this article that came out today from uh, Scott Watkins of Sun Herald he also had a tweet about it and then he put the article up today you know Jeremy uh really didn't close or I mean he certainly kept the uh, possibility open of mm-hmm. leaving in 2022 so yeah a lot of a lot of different shifting that'll have to happen for that and um, you know depended on um the uh, the uh, members of Conference USA that are joining and staying, which is a great segue into uh, a little maction that we saw outside of the football field with, uh, you know, the talk of, I believe we we touched on it last week of Middle Tennessee and, and Western Kentucky being potential targets. Um, you know, there was, uh, I think the phrase was universal interest or something like that with the MAC and, and Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky. But now... I believe it's official as of this afternoon. Middle Tennessee yes. is staying in Conference USA. Well, both are now. But well, both are yes. So that that was the the sort of domino or the catch right. was that they both had to go, and it was the hang up was Middle Tennessee because of financial reasons they called it, and um, yeah, I don't know. Really interesting play from the Middle Tennessee uh, leadership because we've I don't know we've talked about. Um, you know how how much of a financial boost it will be for Southern Miss in the Sun Belt, but I I think it's a similar one even in the MAC for it, or would be for Middle and Western Kentucky just because you know you you have a lot of the elements that that make it a positive move for Southern Miss in the MAC, um, uh, you know the the regional rivalries and just just the cohesiveness of the conference and also how. Conference USA will look moving forward. You would think that would be a long-term financial boost, but that's not how Middle Tennessee sees it. Right. Well, I mean, they're thinking short-term. Yes. Uh, they're thinking exit right, fees. Well, yes. Yeah. We can get those exit fees because yep. apparently they are broke. You know, people talk yeah. about you know, oh, well, USM is broke, but just because they look at the USA Today athletic budget database, but like USM, like they may be running a lean budget, but the you know, it's not a bankrupt operation. Right. You know. And it sounds like Middle Tennessee is really struggling financially. So they're thinking, well, if we can collect these, if we can collect these exit fees, we can fund all these projects we want to do. And even if long term, the Mac may give us more money, we need the money now. Yeah. Um, it's like that was that commercial. It's my money, and I need it now. Yeah. That's what Middle Tennessee is thinking uh, right now. So, and I think there was also they were talking about that. Well, they want to stay in the South, which I kind of get. Yeah. Because uh, it is tough. I mean, just thinking of playing like a Tuesday night game against Akron. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't sound really appealing but i mean i guess maybe it does if you're playing new mexico state on like stadium right at noon or siu yeah (laughs) so it's they're in a really tough spot and then i think western kentucky was very much wanting to go to the mac yes in fact there was reports before the mac released this statement uh, about uh, around five o'clock today wku was still very much interested in the mac they wanted to go um, even without MTSU, and I, I guess the MAC decided it was just a little too unwieldy, or um, I don't even know if that's the word, um, but just logistically difficult. Sure. Um, with 13 teams, and I think the MAC really wanted in that Nashville market for exposure, for recruiting, 
uh, really get into that southern footprint kind of. And uh, once MTSU said no, you lost that. I mean, they could have gone maybe UMass and Western Kentucky with UMass football only, but they yeah. tried that before with UMass and it just didn't work. So it's um yeah it's tough for WKU because I think they did want to get in the MAC. I don't think they want to be playing you know Sam Houston and Jacksonville State and New Mexico State. But um it, it, yeah it's uh. CUSA, but at this point, it looks like CUSA will probably stay at nine. Yes. Because now they can have an eight-team round robin of football, and uh, the schedule works out. Uh, you know, I guess, thinking of, yeah, 16 games of basketball round robin. So, I mean, it's not certainly not perfect, but it's going to stay alive. I, thought, I was just thinking, CUSA now is going to kind of be like what we used to think of the Sun Belt as. Hmm. So, you know, the, yeah, Sun yeah. Belt, the Sun Belt has risen, you know, in the ranks of group of five. But Conference USA, we're going to kind of think of the what we used to think of the Sun Belt about ten or fifteen years ago, where they're just kind of the bottom of the barrel, yeah. And um, without the potential, without the potential, you would certainly think of less Sam Houston and Liberty and La Tech. I mean, I mean, you have some teams that can win. Well, sure, yeah. There's but, some, yeah, but just as a whole, right? right. Yeah, it still makes very little sense. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, like we've talked about the, I mean, those FCS programs they add are not to the level of an Old Dominion or an App State or something like that that have had real success in the FBS. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm mainly talking about football here because there are, you know, uh, we've talked about how, you know, as a basketball conference. You well, know, that, Sam Houston did win the FCS cha- uh, championship, yeah. but yes. they don't have the money or the fans well, yes. that, like, a James Madison has. Like, right, they James don't Madison. have the foundation for that kind of exactly, potential. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, well, speaking of, um, we'll, we'll just move right in. Um, I don't know, anything else on conference realignment? I mean, I guess we basically, we basically said it, but CUSA did officially announce New Mexico State, yeah, Liberty, yeah. Jackson, Jacksonville State, and St. Houston. So. Yeah, and, they, and, and Judy <laughs> came out and said something, um, which, I don't know, she, she never actually says anything, but, you know, said they're still, you know, um, kind of surveying the options as, as far as, you know, a, a realignment and adding future members, but I, it would, uh, I think, make sense to say stay at nine for now, especially because they're, they're just really, I don't know, no other options out there uh, at this point. Um, so, yeah, we we will see how that shakes out for middle. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's ever a good thing to uh, rely on on Conference USA coming through for you. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> As we have learned. Yes, we have. We have learned it well. Um, so let's, uh, hey, let's get to know one of our conference mates. How about it? Yeah, so this is a new segment that I came up with like Sunday. It's called Better Know a Conference Mate. So we're going to go through all of the non-USM conference mates in the Sun Belt, all 13 of them. Because yeah, I mean, yeah, 14 Sun Belt schools, obviously. Yeah. You know, I think most people know Southern Miss at this point if you're listening to this podcast. So uh, I guess we're not going to go over Arkansas, Little Rock, and Texas Arlington because it's assumed that they're going to be leaving the conference. If they do remain in the conference, we will come back yes. to them at some point, <laughs> yeah. and we will yep. we will talk about them. But we're going to go in alphabetical order here. Um, each week, so it's. Uh, I think I've looked at it today. If we do one every week, we'll be done with this like in February. Mm. So, uh, but yeah, this is going to be a running segment for the next couple months. Just we're going to feature one uh, Sunbelt team uh, and try to figure or just kind of get to know them a little better because uh, you know I think you kind of have a baseline knowledge of these schools, but yeah. you don't really know them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I learned a lot just kind of researching these things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I learned a lot about upstate that it, um, that's the first school we're going to yeah. talk about. The Nears. Yes. So, al- uh, alphabetically app state comes up first. So app state, they are in Boone, North Carolina. Uh, it is in Northwest, uh, North Carolina. They call it the high country up in the Appalachian mountains. Obviously that's why they're called app state. Uh, it is a college town of about 20,000, uh, it's about 3000 feet above sea level, which is apparently one of the highest, uh, of any university east of the Mississippi river. Uh, and it is, I kind of thought it was farther away from major populations er- areas than it actually is. It's only about two hours from Asheville, Charlotte, and Greensboro. So it's not that hard to get into in terms of flying if you were going to fly uh, to like a USM App State game. Uh, it was founded in 1899 as a teacher's college, just like USM was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was known as Appalachian State Teacher's College. Um, became a multi-purpose university, uh, multi-purpose u- regional university in 1967 and then joined the uh, University of North Carolina system in 1972. 
Um, and it's kind of, uh, it has a reputation of being, so it, they have still uh, the big teachers program, like we said, uh, kind of like USM, but it's kind of a hillbilly teacher arts college is kind of the reputation. Uh, but it, it ranks highly on like the U.S. News and World uh, Regional University rankings. Um, and so, um, but yeah, it, the enrollment is just over 20,000. Uh, 90% of that is undergrads and 90, the vast majority of their students are from North Carolina. It's about yeah. 92% of the students from North Carolina. I was interested. They actually do. I was thinking most of their students would be from Western North Carolina, kind of around Boone, but actually 80 plus percent of, uh, of their in-state enrollment is outside of that Western, uh, kind of Appalachian, North Carolina, uh, area. They pull a lot of students from Charlotte, Raleigh, Durham, yeah. other parts of the state. So they really do have a statewide uh, enrollment there. And then uh, in terms of athletics, obviously the athletic claim to fame, everybody remembers uh, that went over Michigan in 2007, uh, the big upset uh, where they beat a top five Michigan team on the first game ever on the Big Ten Network. Uh, they did that, but they, they were an FCS power. They won back-to-back-to-back FCS championships in 05, 06, 07. Uh, and then since joining the Sun Belt, they, they've really been the gold standard in mm-hmm. Sun Belt football. They, yep. They're 51 and 10 in Sun Belt games uh, since joining in 2014. Uh, this 84% uh, win percentage. Uh, they won back to back to back to back uh, at least a share of Sun Belt titles from 2016 to 2019. They finished 19 in the final AP poll in 2019. Uh, they appeared in the 2018 and 2020 polls. Didn't finish in the uh, polls that year, but they did make at least one appearance. Uh, in those, uh, and then they average thirty-one thousand a game, uh, which is among. I'm pretty sure that's got to be among, maybe not the very top of the group of five, but toward the top, certainly at the top of the Sun Belt. Uh, and they play in a stadium. It's been uh, people have talked about it, but they play in a stadium called the Rock. Uh, it's called Kid Brewer Stadium. So that's uh, maybe something make some kind of Rock uh, rivalry trophy. If yeah. we, first time we play them. Uh, and basketball, they won the uh, Sun Belt basketball uh, tournament this past year. Uh, they, it was kind of a situation where they were kind of a 500 team in the regular season, but they got hot uh, and they lost in the playing game. Uh, past couple of years, they had been middle of the pack, so it, it was they were, haven't been a huge basketball school. They just kind of got hot at the right time and uh, got in the NCAA tournament through that uh, the auto bid. Uh, baseball is uh, toward the bottom of the conference. Uh, they've only been to one um, region in the last 25. Uh, plus years, and that 2012, they got in. Uh, I think it was an at-large, actually. They, um, they, I think they had a series win at LSU that year that really helped them uh, get in the NCAA tournament. Uh, a couple famous alums. They have a couple, like, bro country, I guess people call it. <laughs> yep. They have Eric Church, Luke Combs. Uh, they also have the guy that co-wrote the Freakonomics book, which is kind of like a social science meets economics uh, book. came out about uh, 15 or 20 years ago. Um is pretty well read. I think a lot, of, uh, a lot of people. Uh, or there's a podcast of it now too. And that guy, yeah. um, I guess name that is. I don't know. Probably that I say his name. Stephen Dubner is yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he also he's also the co-host or of the Freakonomics podcast. Uh, so that's kind of the three uh, big alums that I saw. And then, um, so uh, yeah. Any thoughts on App State? Yeah, man. Now you know. Uh, this is an educational podcast. Um, yeah, just I don't know when I when I was thinking about. App State um, in this this segment, and um, you know, I, I think it's really interesting the way that they have cemented the, their perception as as now kind of um, you know a cool group of five, maybe you would say, and um, to do it so soon after you know making the jump from FCS to FBS, I think a huge huge part of that is conference affiliation. I think if they had they not been in the Sun Belt with playing games that regionally matter uh, and being successful in a conference like that and playing on ESPN, you see those those type of environments on ESPN. We've talked about it. We've seen it several times this year. Um, you know, against Coastal Carolina, against Louisiana Lafayette, and um, it is yeah, it's it's become it has this perception of of being uh, a fun place to go to school a fun place to watch a football game and I think you know and, and you know part of it that is it's uh, and it's in a really interesting place it's on you know on a mountain and all that kind of stuff in a cool part of the country um but I I again I think it goes back to I would say the largest part of that is conference affiliation I think the Sun Belt made 
man, just an unbelievable move to add them, um, you know, when they did. And it's, it's just, it's made so much sense for everybody. And I would connect that to Southern Miss's move to the Sun Belt because I think, I think that type of opportunity to boost your perception, uh, have, you know, who cares if it's a Wednesday or a Thursday night? If your stadium is sold out and you play a fun brand of football, you know, I, I go back to, you know, when we interviewed Corey Gunkel, his friend that was from California and saw Southern Miss playing on a, whatever it was, Tuesday night, and said, <laughs> that place looks fun. Um, and and saw, saw people loved the football program. The football team was good. And and that allowed us to, you know, continue to scale up the perception, which was, you know, utterly destroyed uh, in this these last two decades, decades by Conference USA. I think you have an opportunity to get back to that. And so, um, yeah, to be to be aligned with with App, App State too um, is is a point for uh, that perception um, in schools like that. And uh, obviously, we'll talk about the rest of them. But yeah, I, I I think it makes so much sense. I think that is a cross division rivalry that that could develop. Um, obviously, the the stadiums with the same names and stuff, but it's it's also kind of this blue collar, uh, you know, s- small town, and uh, you know, I don't. You, Probably couldn't say rural-ish, but not you know not a big urban area. Oh, I mean, I would um, say it's definitely rural. Rural. Well, I was thinking yeah. about Hattiesburg. Oh, uh, oh, sorry, the, yeah, the two places. Oh, but, right. But yeah. yeah, but just yeah, not 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 big urban areas, um, to where you know just rivalries like that against a school like Appalachian State can develop so naturally, where that was just not a possibility in Conference USA. So I, I think you got to be excited. Yeah, I, I think. Something that App State has that a lot of these Sunbelt schools have and Conference USA schools didn't is that App State has an identity. Yes. Yep. Like, I think even, like, very casual college football fans know who they are. Just I, I remember I was uh, saying something a while back, uh, something about I was with a friend, and I was saying, yeah, App State, they almost beat uh, something about Penn State that night. And this guy was like, yeah, I remember App State. You know, they, they beat somebody one time or something like that. Like, yeah, they beat Michigan. So, like, people know App State because yeah. – of the win over Michigan. They've been a fun, like you said, a fun group of five team that plays on Wednesdays and Thursdays and packs the stadium out. They're in, you know, a really uh, college town that's really gotten a lot of publicity. They were on some kind of uh, some kind of bracket, like best football town in America. I think they're actually matched up with Oxford. Uh, I don't know if they won that or not. Hopefully they did. But uh, um, so, yeah, it's, it's really a, uh, a, like we were saying, the gold standard in terms of football. Uh, in the Sun Belt right now, and I think it's I think it's a program that, in terms of teams that you're associating with yourself on the other side of the conference, I think App State, if they're not number one, they're certainly you know number two at least. I guess you know right there with Coastal, um, in terms of who you're excited to play from the other side, just based on their football pedigree, yeah. the location, that kind of thing. So, yeah, better know a conference mate. Hopefully, you know them better now. That is Appalachian State, and we're also going to try to try to get on. Uh, Maybe a couple of these Sunbelt podcast hosts. Uh, I know there's a great App State one. We've we talked about um, the University of Louisiana uh, has. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a great podcast um, for the Rage Occasion. So we're going to try to maybe have a conversation with those guys in the coming months. So stay tuned for that. Uh, do we want to look at the Conference USA? Yeah, schedule? we can run by that real quick. Let's run through it. Um, or do you have the tab? Or I don't know if that was. Um for this upcoming uh, week or last week? Oh, that was actually for basketball. I do, I do oh. want to mention some of these basketball results. Okay. Uh, for the people that are terrified that we only beat William Carey by 14. Um, well, let me find exactly what I was looking at. La Tech gets absolutely demolished that by was, Alabama. That is a, that's going to be a really good Alabama team, though. Yeah. Um, so I, I still expect Louisiana Tech to compete at, um, at the top of the conference. Western Kentucky only beat Alabama State. By five, we're down double digits in the first half. Uh, I thought that was an interesting result. Charlotte beats Monmouth, as I like to call them. Um, let's see, 68-66, only beat them by two, and don't really score a whole lot. Um, a game like that, maybe a little bit of concern for Marshall. UTSA mm, looks to be about the same. Beat Trinity by 30. That's going to be another just run-and-gun, uh, throw-it-up type offense. Um so yeah, those are those are just a few of the yeah uh, um, kind of got off track there, but yeah, let's let's run through the yeah. So football, football yeah, schedule. WKU at Rice, uh, Rice eight or sorry, WKU is eighteen point favorite. 
uh, you know, WKU, uh, they kind of just keep rolling uh, for the most part. They really don't have any bad losses to this point. Or I guess, yeah, because I, I mm, guess they yeah. lost to uh, Michigan State, Indiana, uh, Army, and UTSA. And none of those are terrible teams. No. But, um, Charlotte, a lot tech. Uh, a lot tech is two and seven, so they are out of a bowl. Um, but they are favored by six and a half against Charlotte, even though the Charlotte's five and four. Um, the FIU at MTSU, that's going to be kind of the uh, core of the next Conference USA right there. Yeah. Uh, MTSU's 10-point favorite as uh, Rick Stockstill goes for his uh, standard 6-6 six and six season. Uh, FAU at Old Dominion, AAC Sunbelt game there. Uh, hopefully Old Dominion uh, can win one for the Sunbelt. And UAB and Marshall, that is a very uh, big game. Mm-hmm. Marshall uh, trying to get that East Division title. UAB needs to win that because yeah. if they go down two games to UTSA, even if they beat UTSA, they would not. They'd still be a game back. So they need to beat Marshall so they can have a chance to uh, own the tiebreaker of UTSA if they were to win that game. Yeah, and that's in Huntington too, which yes, is big Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, UTEP at uh, North Texas. North Texas is still alive for a bowl. I uh, haven't looked at the last three uh, games, but if they do win, win out, they would be six and six. So um, North Texas trying. And I guess at one point they were one and six, so they made up. Who knows? They made up winning the last five games and saving South Latrell. They do. Uh, they do play UTSA the final game. They, uh, it's UTEP, FIU, UTSA. So where is that UTS? Is that in Denton or San Antonio? That is in Denton. Oh man, yeah, I'm still, yeah, still probably won't win that, but you know who knows. Um, so that yeah, that's uh, the week in uh, Conference USA. And then I guess before we go, they did release the baseball schedule uh, mm-hmm. last week. We'd basically come up with most of the highlights in terms of the weekend series, uh, but your non or your non-conference weekend series. Uh, but just kind of going over those again, your non-conference weekend series in order are um, North Alabama, Jacksonville State, then you go to Louisiana Lafayette, then you go to Dallas Baptist. And I would say that that Dallas Baptist series is going to be the highlight in terms of your Mm -hmm. weekend series just because they've been a really good program. In fact, I saw a stat that past, uh, I guess it was the past three seasons, five programs have won 40 or more games three seasons in a row, and USM at Dallas Baptist were two of those five. So those are both programs that have had success. Um that, yeah, like we are saying, Dallas Baptist went away from Omaha last year. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of your conference series, so you get FAU at home, you get La Tech at home, you go to Charlotte and you Old Dominion. Old Dominion is also at home. Okay. So really three of your four toughest conference series are at home. I mean, so you get a good draw on the conference schedule. Mm-hmm. You don't have to play Marshall, which um, Marshall is typically a drag on your RPI. Yep. Uh, so that that's favorable. Um, and then I guess in terms of midweek, uh, we, we talked about Ole Miss. That'll be a um, – you get them at home. You go to Pearl and play them as well. You get Alabama at home uh, in a midweek. So Ole Miss and Alabama, those are going to be good draws, uh, midweek crowds mm-hmm. on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And then uh, Tulane is back on the midweek schedule. Yes. I'm really happy to see that. Uh, that's good, uh, I think, for both programs in terms of RPI. And just, yeah. you know, that's been a long, long-standing uh, baseball series dating back to the Metro day. So I was good uh, – I was happy to see that. Uh, was back on the schedule, so uh, yeah, it's you know it's not a uh, a meat grinder, but it's certainly a competitive schedule. Yeah, to where if you perform well, you're going to be in contention, for, or you're going to get an at-large bid if you do well against the schedule. And if you do really well, you're going to put yourself uh, in the mix to host. So I think that's kind of what you try to achieve when you're putting these schedules together. But yeah, that Dallas Baptist series, if you can take two out of three out mm-hmm. out there, that's really going to set you up uh, on your postseason. Uh, Yes, profile, postseason resume in terms of RPI, quality wins. So that's kind of the uh, series I have circled on my calendar. Yeah, that that first half of March. Um, yeah, first of all, I mean, I, I feel like the schedule is pretty well balanced. But that first half of March, that's that's where you start to you know either build momentum toward a hosting spot. Obviously, that's you know in the early part of the schedule. But um, uh, you know, state in Pearl, the Lafayette series in Lafayette. So, you know, and then, um, you know, you take two uh, two out of three there and then South and Tulane on the two midweeks in between Lafayette and Dallas Baptist. Um, yeah, those those uh, those couple of weeks, those are those are going to tell you a lot. Yeah, and then you go, you host Alabama in a midweek after Dallas Baptist. Yep. And then you have three games against FAU at home. So, the, yeah, that, that 
you know, we weren't saying we were saying it wasn't quite a meat grinder, but that part of the schedule is a That's meat grinder. Tough. Yeah. So you kind of start off light with North Alabama and uh, Jacksonville State to a lesser extent. Jacksonville State's usually a pretty good program. Um, that's a future. It would be nice to uh, stick it to CUSA by sweeping uh, Jacksonville State. But, uh, but then, yeah, once you get into March, you really uh, play some quality teams in there. That'll uh, test you. So, Yeah, and um, Kendall Rogers came out, or D1 Baseball came out with the fall report. Uh, had, some, had a lot of good things to say. Um, I guess that, I mean, I guess – Anybody can't go read that because it's a paid subscription. But right. I, I would I would recommend it. D one baseball is is great. Has some great stuff, but pretty pretty glowing review um, for the fall baseball ball report. So it should be a lot of fun. Um, we will continue to talk about that. Fall World Series is this weekend again. I'll be out of town, so I don't I don't know if you're going to make that. Yeah, bad, I'll but. be there at le- Friday at least. I haven't looked at the other times, but I will be there Friday for sure. Yeah, so, so we will we'll talk about that next week and break that down um, and look ahead to the spring uh, in the middle of all this other stuff we got going on. Big one and uh, Reed Green again Friday against Louisiana Lafayette. Be sure to head out there uh, for that one. That will be a lot of fun. Tell you a lot about this version of Jay Ladner's group. This has been another episode of Buzzardry. We appreciate you being with us. We'd love for you to leave a a review. It takes two seconds on whatever podcast platform you are listening to. We have, um, we've appreciated the feedback we've gotten. Glad to have you with us again. So uh, that'll do it. Just another week. We are, I think we're about 15 episodes in. I think was it? Like I think this is our seventeenth because I think 17th, you, you okay. did put the number on the. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I went, went back and counted how many episodes we had uh, because I was I was numbering it really strangely. So, uh, yeah, man, rolling right along. We're having a blast again. Thanks for being with us. This has been another episode of Buzzardry. My name is Ben Milam. That's Patrick McGee. Hope to have you with us next week. This has been Buzzer Dream. Thanks for listening, and be sure to share and leave a review. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Buzzer Dream Pod for all you need to know about the show. See you next time.